If you would like to use a Bible from the church, you could turn to page 1011 on the Pew Bible. Otherwise, we're going to read verses 19, 20, and 21 of James chapter 1. Thank you guys for leading us this morning as we sing to the Lord and about the Lord. This is God's word for us this morning. And verse 19 begins like this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You may be seated. Father, no word like your word. Your word is true, it's eternal, it's powerful, it's living, it's active. And our prayer is that while we now devote some moments to consider your word, that your spirit would be at work in our midst. Father, we do want to know some things, so teach us. But we want to be transformed by the presence of your spirit through your word. So help us to that end. May you be pleased by how your people receive your word this morning. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're still in James chapter 1, and yet we're transitioning to a new section of James. Thus far, in chapter 1, we've looked primarily at uh, the experience of trials and navigating trials with a sense of joy and yet navigating trials in a way that avoids the pitfalls of temptation into sin, navigating trials in a way that we can still experience the, and know something of the goodness of God in the midst of our trials. And now James pivots and introduces a new segment in his letter to us. He pivots from uh, battling trials to now receiving the word. We've just read verses 19, 20, and 21, and, and yet this new segment will take us through the end of chapter 1. Uh, it, it, it all involves itself with the importance of the Word of God in our life, the role of God's Word in our life. And the first thing that James says to us from the passage we read this morning underscores uh, the receiving of the Word. In fact, uh, set your eyes there at the, at the, very, at the second half of verse 21. Um, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The main emphasis in verses 19, 20, and 21 is upon receiving the word. That you and I this morning would know that it is God's will to urgently and actively receive God's word in our lives. Two things I want us to say about 
receiving the word, first of all, starting backwards with the very tail end of the second half of verse 21, and we're going to then work our way back up. But I want to say something about the importance of receiving the word. This is what we're talking about this morning, that you and I would, would have uh, see the importance of, of an ongoing active reception of God's word in our lives. In fact, we'll probably spend most of our time on this second point. Uh, but then, um, if I don't um, uh, goof off too much, we'll get to the second point. And we'll touch on that briefly, uh, which will make our way back up to the front end of our reading this morning, and that is to uh, uh, something about the impediment to receiving the Word. So first of all, the importance, the first point of receiving the Word. What James really says here about the importance of receiving the Word is, is really tied in with something that he said at the end of last week's passage. Something he said in, uh, in, in verse 18, for instance. So set your eyes on verse 18 of chapter 1. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James is, is saying some things here while he shifted gears from talking about trials to receiving the word. He does this in a transitional way because he ended the statement, the conversation about trials by bringing up the matter of the, of the word. And, and, and now he builds upon that and continues uh, uh, t- talking to us about the role of the Word in our lives. What accounts for any of us becoming Christians in the first place? Well, that's what verse 18 is describing, that by the will of God, He brought us forth. The imagery there is we were conceived and given life. By His Word, by His will, He brought us forth by His Word. Uh, That is, that the Lord implanted life into us when or as we were born again. And, And that being born again becomes something of the initial experience. It becomes something of the initiating application of Christ's saving work in our lives. Eternal life consists of God by His Spirit implanting His Word in us. When we first started hearing things about Jesus, who He is and what He has done, the Spirit of God gets in the middle of all of that. And as the Spirit of God gets in the middle of you and I hearing and understanding things about Jesus, the Spirit of God implants life into us, and we become born again. We become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now this this eternal life that's been implanted into us, that accounts for us becoming Christians, being born again. Now James adds to that here in our conversation at the last half of verse 21. The work Uh, the Word's work of imparting life into us by the role uh, is coupled with, and now added to that, the Word's work of 
of achieving our final outcome of salvation. Again, look at the end of verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word. In other words, he's talking to people who do trust in Jesus. He's talking to people who have received, accepted, embraced the, the word of truth concerning who Jesus is and what he has done. And, and, and yet he's building upon that. Those who have had that word implanted into us and we've been born again, what do we do now? Well, now we ongoingly, we continuously, we, we relentlessly uh, take in the word of God, receive the, with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word which points us to Jesus, plays an indispensable role in us experiencing salvation initially. But those of us who have received and experienced salvation initially, now are being told by James that there is an ongoing, continuous role of the Word of God in our lives henceforth. The Word of God also plays an indispensable role in us experiencing salvation ultimately. Verse 18 talks about the Word is involved in the start of our spiritual life and journey. And yet coupled with that, what the half, second half of verse 21 is telling us is that those who have received the word of truth initially, we, we now must continuously, aggressively, actively, ongoingly, relentlessly received the word of God. It is to be in the word of God is to be involved in an integral part of our life until the conclusion of our spiritual life and journey. You see, we, the Bible does not teach. And yet this is so common of a note in our culture today. The Bible does not teach that all you need to do is hear the gospel one time and acknowledge it and then go on. You can drop it if you want to. Wait, wait. And then, but since you heard it one time and accepted it uh, back there in the day, and, but you have no place or role in your heart for an ongoing reception of the word, it's, you're good. It's all good. I fear there are many who are, well, Paul, uh, not Paul, uh, Carl, Carl used this word in Bible study this morning, fraudulent believers. He even named names. Well, a name, Ju Judas in that case, but uh, scared you, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you thought, oh my gosh, I could get the tape of that and see if he called my name out, you yeah, know, but yeah, yeah. He's prepared to come back next week with more names. But anyway, um, 
Some, somebody might have a favorable response to Jesus initially, uh, but, and, 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 they, and they think themselves, and they've even been told by a preacher that, brother, you're saved. Now, don't let anybody ever doubt that the rest of your life, no matter what you do. Well, that's not what the Bible really teaches us, and it's important that we would understand what the Bible really teaches us. Uh, now, I, I, I totally understand that at some point you, you, you first heard some things about Jesus, and, and by the grace of God, you, you responded favorably and positively to what you heard about Jesus. We rejoice in that, and what James is saying to us now is that those of us who have been brought forth initially by the word of truth, we now must ongoingly, continuously, eagerly receive the word that has been planted in us, which is able, which is able, so he, he shifts it and, 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 and gives us kind of a forward-looking perspective here, which is able able to save our souls. I, I know I've used this illustration a gazillion times, but as long as you have me around here, I'm just going to keep using this illustration until every one of you reads Pilgrim's Progress and knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but at the very last page of Pilgrim's Progress, which the, but Pilgrim's Progress is just a wonderful uh, metaphor and, and, and allegory uh, uh, of the Christian life and the Christian journey, and, and, and it teaches us that we're not home until we're home. And, and, and yet, while we're in between getting home, it is absolutely important that we continually receive the Word and believe the Word and trust in Jesus ongoingly, continuously, relentlessly, actively, says at the very last page, I never knew there was a way to hell right from the gates of heaven. In other words, the way we begin the Christian journey is through the agency of the Word of God by the power of the Spirit of God. The way we get home to our final experience of salvation is also through the agency of the Word and the power of the Spirit of God. It is the Word that has past tense there, saved us. But the scriptures speak of salvation as not just simply a past experience. And in fact, when 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that Christ died for our sins, uh, we could think about that in a multifaceted experience. Uh, in other words, he, he doesn't flatten this. When Christ died for us and for our sins, he, he didn't just deal with sins in a one-dimensional kind of way. When Christ died for us and when you and I begin a journey with Jesus, we can hold on to the promise that the penalty of our sins has been forgiven. But you know what? We've got more to deal with as it pertains to sin than simply it's penalty. In this present moment, you and I are in the process of being saved from another facet of sins. You and I are in the process of being saved from the power of sin. That's a real critter, isn't it? Well, how do we, how do we experience a present moment of salvation from the power of our sins. Well, with meekness, we receive the word 
that's implanted in us, which is able to save our souls. The scriptures also talk about a future dimension. There's a sense in which those who are saved are not yet saved. We've, we've not heard the final verdict of our justification in Christ alone. We, we've been pardoned of the, of the penalty of our sins. We are ongoingly being rescued or saved from the power of sin. But when you read the end of the book, the final outcome of salvation means that we won't even be a thousand gazillion miles near the presence of sin. But we ain't home yet, are we? And until we get home, we keep a continued, continuous, ongoing, relentless, humble reception of the Word of God in our hearts and lives. We get started through the Word by the Spirit. The message of God's announcement concerning His Son's person and work is what has implanted new life by the Spirit in us. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves uh, as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That was at a moment of time, the will of God brought us forth by the power of his word into our dark, dead hearts comes the light shining, life-imparting gospel of Jesus Christ. We become alive in Christ, and we see Christ as gloriously beautiful. That's how we get started. Have you gotten started yet? Well, how do I know that the Lord has initially brought me forth to life by the word of the truth. Well, I don't know. What do you think about Jesus? Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, though you do not see him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Do you have any affections for Jesus? Do you see him as beautiful and lovely? In fact, more lovely than the puny, sinful stuff that floats around us. That we're still battling, we're still struggling with, and yet when the dust all settles, Jesus is better. He's more beautiful. He's more satisfying. Well, if we've begun with Jesus, what do we do next? That's what James is explaining to us. We who have trusted in Jesus initially, well, this is what, what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 in which he dips back and deals with our past and yet 
brings that out into our present and on into our future. And he says, and you, you, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing uh, evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you. See, we've gone from this is what you once were and this is what your prospects are to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Look, from where we have come, who now what our prospects are. And yet Paul then inserts here that over the prospects of being presented holy and blameless and above reproach before his throne. He says there in verse 23 of Colossians chapter 1, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope that you have heard. If you've never begun with Jesus, our goal isn't to shame you. Our desire is that you would, right now, this morning, turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Him. Even before the sermon is done. In fact, don't wait for the sermon. This thing could go on forever. Who knows? Turn to Christ, trust only in Him. He alone has taken our sin and our guilt and bore up under its curse, its condemnation, its judgment. He alone has absorbed the wrath of God that all who turn to Christ and trust in Him would have the wrath of God abated from us. Turn to Christ. You say, Joe, I, I don't know if I could turn to Christ. I still got some sinful mess in my life. No, you don't know the half of it. And don't wait until some of that sinful mess gets rearranged and sorted out. Flee to Christ who pardons us not just from the penalty, but now begins to remove the power of sin in our lives. Turn to Christ. Don't wait. Joe, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I'm ready for this. No, God orders you. God directs you. God invites you. Whatever language that, that sticks at this moment, it is the will of God that you this morning begin with Jesus. And yet then those of us who have begun with Jesus, it is the will of God that you continue with Jesus. At this present moment, as we, tagging on to what we've done so far in chapter 1, as we navigate this life of trials and temptations, as we experience the commonality of the human condition of sin and suffering, our journey home is experienced only through the word of Christ. Only Christ, as we receive him through his word, can get us safely home. And therefore, it is through the word of Christ that we must continuously receive. The importance of receiving the word. Here in verse 21, those of us who have begun to receive it, 
now henceforth resolve to continually receive it. And then a few things about as we work our way backwards up through the passage here. We started at the tail end of verse 21, and now we're going to work inch our way back up through that. The impediment to receiving the word of God. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, beginning at verse, uh, I'm, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Look at verse 21, the first half now. This is where we'll start. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. As you have begun with Jesus not waiting till you get your act cleaned up to come to Jesus, but running to Jesus as quick as you are able to do so. Now that you belong to Jesus, then in order to ongoingly, continuously, eagerly uh, receive, actively receive the Word of God, verse, the first part of verse 21 says there's some things you got to let go of. There are some things that impede or hinder uh, a continuous, ongoing, ceaseless receiving of the Word. And those things are inside of us. Those things are native to us. It's kind of jarring to get dressed up and come to church just to be reminded that underneath that nice veneer of acceptable clothing, there is filth and there is wickedness. Not just in a couple of you. If we had to name names... We'd all get named before we're done. In fact, the imagery that's here is uh, in verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Put it away. The imagery is of, of, of clothing. Look at what you've worn to church this morning. You've done brought with you your filth and your wickedness. Strip it off! That's, that's, that's really the, the, the imagery. Get rid of it. Take, tear those garments off of you. And James then gives us a couple of examples. I, I, I don't think what he says at the start of our passage... 19 and 20 is meant to be a comprehensive list of the this, is the, this is the only, this is the only thing I can think of when it talks about filth and wickedness that is native to us and that lingers us still. No, this is just James uh, giving us a couple of examples of, of, of garments that, that must be stripped, that must be gotten rid of, uh, that we must tear off of ourselves if we are going to be in a heart posture to ongoingly, continuously, with meekness and humility, receive the word that's planted in us. Peter uh, says... 
something very similar to what James is teaching us about. All in the context like James is about an ongoing receiving of the word, and yet what's predicated upon receiving the word is, um, uh, is, is removing the filth. This is what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. So put away, and that's the same imagery, strip it off, get it off right now. But uh, put away all malice and all deceit and, and hypocrisy and envy and slander. See, P- Peter builds upon the, uh, the examples of, of uh, filth and wickedness that are still native to us, that still are impediments to truly embracing and receiving the word ongoingly in our lives. He says, goes on to say, like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter does the same thing. He casts a forward glimpse of salvation. It's, it's, it's something that in one sense is still out there yet to be experienced. And how do we experience it yet? Well, those of us who have initially experienced salvation now ongoingly and prospectively experience salvation by, first of all, getting rid of anything that makes it hard for us to hear and receive the Word of God in our lives. Clear out morally what is clogging your ears from hearing the Word of God. This becomes maybe an example of a great divide in in Christianity between those who know a lot about the Bible I just finished reading an interesting book. It was a wonderful book. It's such an important book. Um, it, it's talking about elitists and what elitists have done to seminaries and academia and Christian circles. Uh, that these elitists, they have ad- high up advanced degrees. They can tell you more about the Bible uh, than you want to know. And, and yet the higher up the food chain that they become in their little elitist swagger, the less they actually believe and the less they're actually transformed by the Word of God. See, you could have a lot of information about the Bible and miss the point of the Bible. We we could make you sound like some kind of bona fide expert. And yet our real goal is not simply to come out of this looking like bona fide experts in the Bible. We have no interest in being elitists in any way, shape, form of life, but particularly when it comes to handling the Word of God. No, our desires, our goals is not mere information about the Bible, but our goals, our desires must be that we want the words of Christ to transform our lives. So you can, you can hear a thing or two about the Bible and hang on to your filth and moral wickedness. And we could even get you a, 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 a position at a seminary. Or you can just humbly receive the Word of God ongoingly, continuously, ceaselessly in your heart and soul 
when you gather with God's people and when you scatter from God's people, the word of God can be received. And when it's received, as we battle even our own native filth and wickedness, then we're able to hear that which we wouldn't hear otherwise. We're able to hear the voice of Jesus through the word by the Spirit. And that word by the Spirit is able to transform us. Now, the particular examples that James gives, I won't spend a lot of time on this because I really don't think that's the major import of this passage um, where he says, uh, every person, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, the, 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 particularly the two examples of moral filth and wickedness that need to be stripped off if your desire is to truly be transformed by the Word of God, is you need to strip off uncontrollable speech and uncontrollable anger. You ever used the phrase before, I was so mad I couldn't see straight? You ever tried that one? Now, don't leave me up here by myself. To, um, come on, make me feel good about me. Give me a group hug, bring it in. So... I think what James is saying is that we can be so mad that, that we can't hear Jesus. We say, I, I want to hear Jesus. Then get rid of that uncontrollable anger. You say, well, you don't understand. My anger is going to bring about the kingdom of God. Or I'm going to take all. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, I understand if we would read other places in Scripture, not all anger is sinful. And there is such a critter as righteous indignation. And yet, what I think James would say to us now, come on, Joe. Yep, there is such a thing as anger that is not sinful, and there is such a thing as righteous indignation. But let's just pretend for a moment that that doesn't include you. In other words, be suspicious about your anger. Be suspicious about your righteous cause. Burn it down. That's righteous? Well, for Jesus, burn it down. Oh, okay, I got you, yeah. Be very suspicious. For even if the promptings of your anger might be righteous... That does not exonerate us from the expressions of our anger not being in accord with righteousness. See, what James is inclining us to orient our mind around is that we who have begun with Jesus, this is not a static dead thing. This is to be an alive, vibrant thing. That when I trusted in Jesus in February of 1980, it wasn't to just kind of go kaput and stop there until I die and go to heaven. But it was to begin there. And it was to continue every day henceforth. It is to continue this day. It is to continue this week. For the word of God that I began to hear in February of 1980 is the word of God that I need to hear today. Day. 
if I am to live in a dynamic, sweet communion with the very Jesus who laid down his life. And so be careful. Be careful of how you might justify and coddle and actually cultivate careless speech and sinful anger. The sins of our speech, the sins of our mouth, and the sins of our angers uh, keep us from humbly receiving the word of truth. So, Father, help us because we want to hear Jesus not back in the day, but we want to hear Jesus right here today. And so, by your Spirit, show us where we're hanging on to things that keep us from hearing. Help us to lay aside our sins and the things that so easily entangle us and let us run with perseverance the race that you have marked out for us, keeping our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For we pray this in Jesus' name.